Good morning. These are unique times that we are in, aren't we? Um, conflicting times, contrasting times. Uh, humans who continue to conquer the vast outer space, yet unable to conquer the threat of a microscopic virus. Uh, some years ago, I was um, uh, sleeping under a mosquito and someone made a remarkable comment. They said, man has caged lions, but when facing a tiny mosquito, he finds himself caged under a net. Times it reminds us that we are not in control. And though we seem to know about many things, yet we are ignorant about most things. For example, uh, you know, we've been talking about coronavirus and COVID-19. I don't know how many of you know what COVID-19 stands for. I don't know if you answered, but just to remind you, this is a video, I can't hear you. But for those of us who don't know, COVID stands for Coronavirus Disease and 19, the number 19 stands for 2019 when uh, it was first discovered having been transmitted to humans. But not being in control also makes us anxious, doesn't it? Dr. Alison Block, had this to say in her article, I'm not anxious, I'm pre-traumatized. She, she writes that we all know what PST, uh, uh, PSTD is, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. It's a stress disorder that you suffer after the trauma, but a pre-trauma is a stress-induced in anticipation of the trauma. And in, in the US particularly, doctors and nurses seem, seem to be diagnosed with this pre-trauma disorder. They hear what's happening in Italy and China and South Korea, and they're experiencing trauma. But the question we need to ask is, what do we do as Christians during this time? And more importantly, what is our role in the society in times like this, in times when pandemic disrupts our lives. Church history reminds us that Christians have always been compelled by agape love and have served the societies well. Uh, it's important to be reminded at this time that when our first response is that of self-care, that we're not found to be selfish and scared. I think the greater danger that we might pose is not of the pandemic, but of the anemic, weak Christianity. We have shown symptoms that we might be scared and that we are selfish. And so this double-edged threat that we face of being scared and of being selfish is something which I think it'd be good for us to pause and to ask some questions. So over the next two weeks, God willing, we want to go through what our response ought to be as Christians in the face of these trials, these this threats, and, and even a pandemic. And for today, I want us to see that we will not be scared, that our scare may be not of death, we are not necessarily afraid of death because we know we're going to be with our Lord Jesus, but uh, we are scared of the disruption. We are scared of the financial loss. We are scared of the loss to our share value. Some of us have lost 
thousands maybe, because of the downturn in the stock market. Uh, property devaluation. We may not be hit with everything right now, but there is this pre-stress or stress that's induced by pre-trauma that might be scaring us. So what I want to lead you to is to move from being a scared Christian to being a singing Christian. Let's just pray before we look to God's word. Father, we look to you. We look to you for your words. Speak to us, O oh God. These are new time, new experiences, and times are different. And I, I pray, O oh God, that you will deal with us where we are in our lives, in our situation, in our challenges, in our trials, in the state of our mind. May your word be our strength, our food that we need for today and for this week and for the days ahead. Be glorified, O oh God, in Jesus Christ. A Lord's name we pray. Amen. So I want to draw your attention to an Old Testament example of King Jehoshaphat, who moved from being scared to be singing. Uh, we may not, as we read through, you will see there are enemy soldiers threatening King Jehoshaphat. We may not have enemy soldiers threatening us, but no matter the trial, no matter the trial, no matter what the difficulty is, we want to see what we can learn from him. And before I look at our chapter, which is Second Chronicles chapter 20, I want to give us a little context about King Jehoshaphat. What do we know about him? We read about him from Second Chronicles chapter 17 all the way till 22. First Kings 22 also gives a brief uh, description of his reign. We, first of all, we learn that he's a good king. In Second Chronicles chapter 17 and verse 4, we read, but he sought God of his father, but he sought the God of his father, sorry, and walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of Israel. Uh, practices of Israel, I want you to understand, the king at that time in Israel, which is the northern kingdom, was King Ahab, one of the most wicked kings that nation had. Then you get to verse six, we read, his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And furthermore, he took the high places and the Asherim out of Judah. Verse nine, and they taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them. And they went through, uh, went about through all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. So King Jehoshaphat actually organized Levites who would go travel around and teach people uh, the, from the book of the law. And so what did God do? We read that in verse 10 of chapter 17, Second Chronicles. And the fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, and they made no war against Jehoshaphat. They made no war against Jehoshaphat. So God protected and kept Jehoshaphat safe. But when we get to chapter 18, we read in verse 1 that Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, 18 verse 1, and he made a marriage alliance with Ahab. Uh, the rest of the chapter is about how he gets into this uh, marriage alliance and also into a war partnership. And as he returns from war, he is met by a prophet. And we read in verse 2, chapter 18, verse 2, after some years, he went down to Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab killed an abundance of sheep, etc. 
sorry, it's not in two. Um, it's in uh, 19, chapter 2, not, not 18. But Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to see him and said to the king Jehoshaphat, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? And in verse 1, we read that God had actually made a breach uh, in the protection that Jehoshaphat had. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to the house of Jerusalem. Uh, that'll be in 20, I'm sorry. I'm getting this mixed up. But 20, we see that after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them, some of the Munites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. And we see that he has no time to respond. And he, don't know, he doesn't know how to respond. And so therefore, we have a topic for us today, what to do when you don't know what to do. And the key verse for us today is verse 12 in chapter 20, which says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. So I want to invite you, as you look at this chapter, chapter 20, to remember this when we don't know what to do, that that key verse, verse 12, would be real in our lives. We don't know what to do but our eyes are on you. I want to look at this chapter in three parts. The first part is that this fight is personal. We read that from verses 1 to 13. And we saw in verse 1 that they came against Jehoshaphat. It is personal. It's not mentioned just the kingdom of Judah, but against Jehoshaphat. But also I want you to notice this fight is multiple. Not just one enemy, there are three enemies coming out as one. It seems like that often, doesn't it? When they come, they all come together. All the storms come to, seem to come together. All the things that turn against us seem to come together because the enemy intends to strike anxiety and fear in our hearts. In verse 3, we read, then Jehoshaphat was afraid. And in verse 12, we had the key verse for us today it says at the beginning of it, for we are powerless against this great horde. Fear and powerlessness. And in times like these, I want us to understand that a right response is very important. A wrong, wrong response can be disastrous. For example, if you have a bad theology, it can be dangerous. Sometimes there is this theology that goes around to say that God will not let a good Christian suffer or that if I pray enough, I will be protected from all danger. We use prayer like a talisman, like, uh, uh, you know, magic spell, as it were. Prayer is actually only our dependence on God, trusting that he will keep us. And so, I've heard sometimes some people say that, oh, you know, when you, when you get on the car, first thing you must do is to pray. And then God will keep you from all accidents. I think we definitely have to pray. Uh, but to use the prayer as a magic spell or a talisman would be wrong. It's to indicate our trust in God. The idea that true Christians will not suffer and that they are immune to trials has been since the beginning of the church. Uh, Cyprian, who is the Bishop of Carthage in AD 250, he wrote 
uh, he had to write to the believers and beg them not to expect special protection and prosperity in our shared fallen world. They had expected that there was a time uh, when plague was rampant and people were dying, but the Christians thought that they would be immune to, uh, to plague. See, as humans, anxiety is natural. Max Lucado says this, and I think that is very appropriate for us uh, to be reminded. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. So what lessons do we have from Jehoshaphat? What do we learn from him? First of all, I want us to see in verse 3 that we will flee ourselves to the Lord. What Jehoshaphat does is he turns to God. He does not turn to the king of Israel for help. You see, now, we saw how he had helped the king of Israel to go in war with him, and he could have asked for the favor in return, but he runs to God. Now I want to say that let him, let our knee-jerk reaction, when, when we are caught in the midst of, of a trial, our knee-jerk reaction would be godly, and that our predisposition would be that we would turn and run to God and not to anything else. The second, you see in verse 4, that you have to find yourself among God's people. Like Jehoshaphat, what he did, he didn't attempt to fight this battle alone, but he called the people of Judah. And, and, and that, is, uh, that is what we read in verse 4. And Judah assembled and to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. God has intended that it will be through the body, through his people, that he acts. I understand that that's a little difficult for us who are so secure in our individualism and, and in this individualistic society uh, to, to come together to share and to get encouragement. But this is God's way as coming together as God's people and seeking his face. But verses 5 to 12, we see what Je- uh, Jehoshaphat does. He fortifies himself. He strengthens himself in prayer. In this case, it's corporate prayer. They came together to pray together. And in other parts of the Bible, we see how there is individual prayer. So both this corporate prayer and individual prayer coming together because prayer is the work. Prayer is the strategy of a Christian during this time. We seem to drop that first and want to get into action. But we learn from Jehoshaphat how prayer is so, so important. Someone said um, during this time, especially during this time when, you know, we, we got to be hygienic. He says, don't just wash your hands, but fold your hands in prayer. So I want us to look at this prayer itself and what we learn, verses 6 to 12. Verse 6, we see Jehoshaphat, ascribing God's sovereignty. And he says, oh, oh, Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. 
want us to hear this, my brothers and sisters. When fear grips us, may the sovereignty of our God be a comfort. That God who is in control will be our comfort. And he, then he goes on to retell God's mighty works. Verse 7, he speaks about the past deliverance of God. Verses 8 to 9, he speaks about God's ongoing promise. Let me read that to you. It'll be so good to hear it. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Verse 8 and 9, where he speaks about the ongoing promise. And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, listen to this in verse 9, if disaster comes upon us, this sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Then in verses 10 and 12, he we see the humility of the king. I want you to understand this. You see, for a king to make this public confession is humbling, but it honors God. To say we have no one to look, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And that's verse 12, which is a key verse for us. So that's the first part. But the second part is, I want us to notice that the fight is the Lord's, verses 14 to 17. The fight is the Lord's. In verse 14, the spirit of the Lord falls upon one of the men. He's not one of the prophets, but it falls on one of the song leaders. And uh, he, he says, let me read to you verse 15. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but the Lord's. Verse 15 and verse 17, twice it's repeated. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. You see, we, we are afraid, afraid as we, we are, we get awe in awe of it. We think, oh, we can't defeat it. We are astonished by it or we are dismayed by it. We are shattered. We are broken. We are terrified. And we are reminded here, the battle is not yours. But God's, don't be anxious. Our Lord Jesus Christ in the Sermon of the Mount, he says repeatedly, do not be anxious. But he ends that part in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, by saying, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. What Jesus, our Lord Jesus was saying that, you know, there are people who get upset and anxious, but you, you seek the Lord, you seek his kingdom, and all these things, even peace of your heart, will be yours. Our fight over anxiety can only be had in the Lord as we seek him and his kingdom first. And the psalmist understood this well. Let me read to you some of these, some of the verses from the psalm. Psalm 34, verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Psalm 123, verse 1, I lift up my eyes to you, to you whose throne is in the heaven. Psalm 105, verse 4, look to the Lord and his strength, seek his face always. Psalm 112, 121, sorry, verses 1 and 2, 
I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Uh, centuries later, we still read those psalms and take assurance of a God who is in control. Uh, one of the hymns that has always touched my heart is that be still, uh, my soul. The second stanza goes like this. Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All thou mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul. The waves and wind still know his voice who ruled them, who ruled them while he dwelt below. We, we just saw from Mark chapter 4 towards the last part, it says, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him. Dearly beloved and the Lord want us to remind us, don't be anxious for our God is in control. The battle is not yours, but God's. When we don't know what to do, our eyes are upon you and the battle is his and it's not ours. And the third part is verses 18 to 22. This fight is won through praise. This fight is won through praise. As you go through this part, you will see that there are some pairs. I want you to highlight that. Verse 18 and 19, you will see two ways of worship. Two ways of worship. Verse 18, let me read to you verse 18. Then Jehoshaphat, bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. They submitted to the Lord's sovereignty. Verse 18, their heads were bowed and they fell to the ground. Worship is acknowledging the sovereignty of our God, that he is in control no matter what the situation. But I also want you to notice verse 19. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. They shouted because of Lord's salvation. They acknowledged the Lord's sovereignty and they submitted to it. But now they shout because of the Lord's salvation. You see, it's, it's a worship is a loud voice. That's why we encourage in our church again and again, sing out brothers and sisters. This is, this is our response to a God who is sovereign. And so we sing, we shout, we acknowledge his sovereignty in our lives. But as we go to verses 20 to 22, we see the two weapons that we have as God's people. Verse 20, I want you to notice weapon one is the word of God in our hearts. Verse 20, and they rose early in the morning and went out in the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord, your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. I want us to understand that God who is sovereignly in control will surely save. But verse 21, 
we have. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went about the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. God's uh, word in their heart, verse 21, but God's praise in their mouth. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And this is the amazing part in verse 22. It says, and when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sire, who had come up against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. When they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. There's something about the about praising God that stirs our heart. You know why it stirs our heart when we when we sing? It's because we know it is true. We have experienced it. And it is only those who have experienced the Lord, those who know the Lord, can sing before the battle, through the battle, and after the battle. He gives us victory. We have another example in Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. Do we not, if you remember the scene, but I want you to uh, imagine this with me. I want you to think that as you uh, imagine, as you walk down the street, you're walking in front of a police station, but a gang of, of thugs, they attack you, they beat you, they, they kick you. And all the while the police are just standing around and watching you. They don't, they don't help you. They don't save you. They don't do anything. But after you've gotten all those kickings and beatings, the police actually pick you up and drop you down a manhole. And as you lie there at the bottom of that manhole, you may have had some broken ribs. Your clothes are torn. You're bruised and you're bleeding. And next day, most likely, you're going to be hanged or beheaded or flogged. If that's your situation, what, do you, what, do you, what will you do? Pray? Maybe. But I want you to hear me as I read to you what Paul and Silas did in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. It says, and about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I want us to understand that there's something about this theology of songs, something about this worship, something about lifting up our hearts in praise. Mary Slosser, who was a missionary to China, had this to say. She said, I sing the doxology and dismiss the devil. Amy Carmichael, she wrote, I believe truly that Satan cannot endure it and so slips out of the room more or less when there is a true song. John Piper had this to say. He wrote, it is no wonder that Satan hates the songs of God's people and does his best to keep a church from being a singing church. And he does his best to keep you from being a singing person. The song that comes from a heart, knowing that it is true, having experienced it, we shout it out for the glory of our God. Elizabeth 
Eliot had this to say, and she wrote in, uh, writes about January 8, 1956. Jim Elliot and four other missionaries were about to approach the jungle where the Oka Indians lived. And it is recorded that their last known act was a hymn that they sang together. We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. A stanza goes like this. We go in faith, our great weakness feeling and needing more each day thy grace to know. Yet from our hearts, a song of triumph pealing. We rest on thee and in thy name we go. That afternoon, all five of them were killed. It felt like their faith was not rewarded. Is it so? Not so, my beloved. Not so. They too were protected by God. They were protected from a fate far worse than death. For one, they were protected from cowardice and, and unbelief and fear. God kept them, though he allowed for a physical death. So what's our takeaway? What do we do when we are confronted, when we are at a loss? Maybe the worst days have not come to us as yet. We may be at the beginning of the curve as we keep hearing it. Maybe the days ahead, we will suffer more loss. But I want us to be reminded, dearly beloved, our greatest loss on this earth cannot wipe away our greatest gain in the Lord. We have gained much, much more, and that can never be taken away. That can never be a loss to those who are in Jesus Christ. And so for one, we won't be running scared, come what may. When the fight gets personal, we will remember that the fight is the Lord's. I have always shared this with you. My favorite verse is Revelation chapter 4, verse 2, and there stands a throne in heaven and one seated upon it. There's only one throne in heaven. He is the sovereign one, and there's only one seated upon it. That's my God. That's your God. That's our Father. And as long as he's in control, and we know that he will always be in control, we will not be scared of the challenges, the trials, the losses that threaten us. But two, we will be found singing, come what may, for we trust his faithfulness. When we don't know what to do, our eyes will be upon him. Our eyes will be upon him. For the battle is not ours, but it's the Lord's. How do I make this personal? How do I encourage this, encourage you to make this personal? I want to suggest that this week, sing, sing from the bottom of your heart. Make a playlist of all the songs that you like and love and let it be playing in your home. Let's sing it. Let, let's learn it. Let's teach it to our children. That may these songs remind us of the Lord's goodness. And next willing, God willing, we will come back to see the second part of of the response of us not being a selfish Christian. May God bless you and keep you and may his presence be with you. Even though we are separated, separated through distance, we know that our God 
is with us. And so we are thankful. Father, we thank you a lot. We thank you for all that you've been to us, for the goodness that you have bestowed upon us through your son. And so when our natural response is to be scared and worried about the losses, about the dangers, about the threat and the fear, we look to you, O God, for we don't know what to do, but the fight belongs to you. And so we are thankful that you, O God, a God who is in control is a God who comforts us. And so we thank you, Lord. Thank you for the sweet remembrance of your son and for all that he means to us. In Jesus Christ, our Lord's name. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the comfort of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us, our families, as we are separated by distance and yet bound together by the presence and by the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. May this week bring a fresh reminder of his goodness. All We ask all this in Jesus Christ. A Lord's name. Amen. Amen.